Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. I, I have to tell you, I am—I uh, have been walking on air for the last 24-plus hours. Uh, before my shift hosting Coast to Coast AM last night, I attended a very powerful, deeply moving, inspiring, spiritual event up in Vaughan, which is uh, north of Toronto for our American uh, listeners. Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, a dear friend of this program. He's been with us many times, most recently, to talk about his new book, The Paradigm. He's also been with me on Coast. And he was speaking at the Vaughn Community Church, which was um, an event hosted by Rabbi Jeff Foreman uh, with the City of David, along with Rabbi Andrew uh, Zeidman at Rosh Pinah. And it was packed, I tell you. Uh, Jonathan was speaking about the mystery of the Jubilee. And at the end of the event, he sounded the, sh- uh, the shofar, you know, the ram's horn, four times. And I don't know... <laughs> what to tell you other than I, I certainly felt God's presence in that uh, packed room. I know a lot of people did. Uh, I, and I had a chance to duck backstage and say hi to Jonathan. Truly a remarkable man. And if you get a chance, uh, log on to YouTube and search Jonathan Kahn, C-A-H-N. He made a speech or delivered a speech to members of Congress. I'm not sure when this was, a, a couple of years ago, I think. In, again, very inspirational, a powerful and v- a very courageous speech, uh, given the um, the times in which we live. Check it out. A very controversial new documentary uh, currently in production. It's called The Myth is Canada. And I'm reading here from the, uh, the website at uh, NephilimFilms.com. Uh, this film will expose the misguided belief systems the people of Canada hold about the Canadian federal and provincial governments. The documentary will expose an ongoing deception and will bring a solution to the people of Canada. Excuse me, I'm I'm just overcome here with emotion. Uh, To the people of Canada to overcome this deception so as to bring a prosperous and bright future for all the people of Canada. Uh, Independent filmmaker and executive producer of this feature-length doc, uh, Doug Force, uh, will be joining me uh, for the full two hours, uh, which... Uh, requires a bit of a programming note. If you've been on the website strangeplanet.ca, you're probably wondering what happened to Jeff Worster, the co-founder and president of the Center for Deep Political Research, uh, was to join us in the second hour to discuss JFK versus the deep state. Of course, as we approach the 54th um, anniversary of the murder of the 35th president, but uh, Jeff has a medical emergency at, at this hour. And I won't go into further details. I just want to tell Jeff, if he happens to be listening or his publicist, all of us here uh, at The Conspiracy Show, sending out our healing prayers uh, to you and your family. A very difficult time. We hope to get Jeff back on the show real soon. So, But we are, uh, having said that, delighted that Doug Force will join us for the full two hours. It really deserves uh, the full two hours. Uh, next week on the program, uh, Billy Carson... Uh, will be with us to t- discuss the secret space program and our good friend, media scientist, McLuhanite, 
uh, Nelson Thal on synthetic clones and doubles. <laughs> this should be good. Nelson is always full value. We always enjoy when he stops by. Uh, let me introduce the boys in the band on the Gibson Flying V guitar, Ian Robertson, who is uh, soon uh, flying off to Los Angeles to record a, um, a record album. And then he'll forget all about his friends here on The Conspiracy Show. He's actually nodding. Yes, I will. He says, I am going Hollywood. No, it's not going to happen. Ian is just too grounded. No, the album will happen, Ian. I'm just saying, you're not going to allow, allow that depraved Hollywood, um, you know, to infect you. You're because getting back you, into a corner here, further and further. What's that? You're getting back into a corner here. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, you, you're, you, you're such a solid individual, and um, I know that you're not going to be affected by that nonsense out in uh, La La Land. That's all I'm saying. Oh, thank you. So just, you know, go out there, make a great record, and then come right back, all right? Can do. Promise? <laughs> All right. Uh, and on the Rickenbacker bass guitar, and occasionally the theremin, the mysterious Albert Venzel, my story producer. And, uh, oh, let me, uh, you were at a, um, bring your microphone over there, uh, um, Albert. You were at some sort of a psychic testing facility this past weekend, weren't you? Yeah, I, I, that's how I spent my Saturday afternoon. It was... Uh, uh, here in Toronto, it was part of IONS. And it what was, is IONS? What does that stand uh, for? The Institute of Noetic Sciences. It's okay. the one with, with Dean Radin. But we were doing like a study on unconditional love and precognition. So like they would, they're hoping their results are better when they hypnotize you to feel unconditional love. Then you should be able to perceive things better. And you, you know, all is connected and all is one. But I was hoping really for more real world applications, like stuff where you can you know um solve real world problems but th- but this is, like a lot of it was sort of guessing like a pea and a walnut and and things like that like a shell game yeah the xena cards this was an app so yeah it's, it the, equ- it's the equivalent phone. of the xena cards where you have to is it a star is it a wavy line is it a is it a triangle I mean, that's normally how they assess psychic ability right yeah but they didn't do that they just okay so they've updated it and now it's on an app Right, and the idea was after they so they they give you a baseline. How did you do in the baseline? I, actually, I think I, I'm the opposite of what his hypothesis was. Like I, I think his hypothesis should, would be that once you're hypnotized, you do the same three tests again, and your results should be better. And I think my results went down. <laughs> but but the but first nothing time about that. you, Albert, is sort of typical. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> you don't need to go there to receive unconditional love. You have it here, my friend. Oh, exactly. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, on the uh, Hammond B3 feature producer and our YouTube live stream producer Ryan White, of course, Albert also on the other uh, live stream. And uh, glad to have you all here as always. All right. Oh, and my little uh, my little guy in the other room, North who is learning to become a technical producer. He's learning at the knee of uh, Ian Robertson. All right, let's get down to business, shall we? In his feature-length documentary film, Doug Force makes the case that Canada, listen closely now, Canada is not a lawfully established country. It's not a sovereign country. We are not citizens. We are chattel in a crown-owned corporation. In the film, Doug interviews former governor-generals, is it Governor Generals or Governors General? Hmm, we'll ask him about that. Uh, Lieutenant Governors, various Canadian politicians, constitutional attorneys, and federal and provincial judges. Doug Force is a Canadian, many generations Canadian, a bit of a history buff to say the least. He started researching the history of Canada a number of years ago, putting together the broader context of what is Canada. 
He serves as writer, director, researcher, and executive producer at Nephilim Films. Doug Force, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. It's been quite a while. It has been, Richard, and thank you very much for having me back yet for what? a third time. My pleasure. <clears throat> this, uh, I remember you talking, visit. we talked about uh, this, the idea for this documentary many years ago. So this has been a long a long road for you, and that is typical. I mean, people need to understand, you know, in film and television, it takes a long time from when you put the idea down on paper to its actual, you know, to the actual uh, fruition. Um, so where is the, where is the Myth is Canada at right now in terms of its production? Well, we actually haven't, uh, haven't entered production at all, Richard. We're actually into crowdfunding. <clears throat> We're up on Indiegogo. Uh, we'll be on there for uh, the next three three to four weeks, mm-hmm. um, and uh, then we're also doing uh, the funding up, up through the website itself. Indiegogo has kind of restricted people to credit card use only, so we've had to um, allow uh, for PayPal and uh, e-transfer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, on uh, on through the website to help us with the crowdfunding on this. And we're picking up momentum, and I really appreciate you having me on your show tonight. Thank you very much, and it's kind of a treat now to do another two hours with you. The last time we did this was in 2008 when you were on another radio station. Ah, there you go. It's been that long. Okay, well, we're delighted to have you back. And uh, well, I, you. I, I, uh, people, again, can go to NephilimFilms.com, N-E-P-H-A-L-E-M, Films.com, and uh, in the About section, uh, you'll note, they'll notice another uh, recent guest on uh, on the conspiracy show, he was also with me on uh, Coast to Coast, and that's Alan Park as part of your team. I, I'm not telling tales out of school. He's on the website, right? That's true. Absolutely correct. Wow, you've got uh, quite a talent pool there at Nephilim Films. All right, so let's get to the uh, let's get to the uh, the the premise here of the film, and that is that Canada is not a lawfully established country. Now, I know you include in on on the website. Kind of an interesting uh, timeline that sort of breaks it down uh, year by year. Uh, but just what is it? What is it? Give us kind of an overarching idea about what you mean when you say we are not Canada. That is, is not a, lo- a lawfully established country. What does that mean? Canada, they would have you believe, confederated in 1867. Uh, we're celebrating 150 years of this so-called confederation. Um, the problem that we have with that and, and that statement is that, uh, and I, I would ask the politicians uh, simply, where are the Articles of Confederation? Um, when did the people and provinces ratify these articles? And, uh, you know, it's that simple. And they don't have them. As a matter of fact, in 1982, 100-plus years of Confederation, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau decided that it was time to put a constitution together for Canada, and he went to a foreign government through a foreign queen, and uh, they passed an act in a foreign parliament that he brought back to Canada that was supposedly to be the constitution for Canada, hence making it a sovereign nation. Why would he have to do that in 1982 if it was already confederated in 1867? There's all these signs out there, um, Richard, that show that what they're telling you on one side is a fiction, and what they're doing on the other side is raping and pillaging while you're not paying attention. I certainly certainly want to get into that, because in the trailer uh, or the teaser... 
for the um, for the documentary. The myth is Canada, and again, the website nephilimfilms.com. Uh, you 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 you, um, you include a, a snippet from a, uh, a a news report back in 2016. Someone is reporting on the income disparity or the concentration of wealth in Canada, uh, and they announced that 10 percent, the top 10 percent of Canadians own 50 percent of the wealth, uh, and so presumably that has been achieved only because, again. Uh, you know, we are all being deceived. This is not a, we are not a sovereign country. We are, we are not citizens. Uh, we're chattel in a, in a, in a corporation. But I'm wondering how much of this has to do with the fact that we are, and cards on the table. I'm not a fan of parliamentary democracy. I mean, this is the country that we live in and, you know, I love Canada and so forth. But, uh, I'm, I've always been more of a fan of at least the idea, the concept. It doesn't, it doesn't live out this way, but the idea of a limited democracy, a constitutional republic. Um, we're, we're coming up on a break. When we come back, I just want to maybe get your sense of whether this is peculiar to parliamentary democracies. Uh, for example, is Australia uh, a lawfully uh, established country, or are, do we all remain essentially colonies of Great Britain, and are we all sort of uh, chattel underneath the Queen, Queen Elizabeth? Doug Forrest, executive producer, director, writer, researcher at NephilimFilms.com, and uh, the feature-length documentary there now in the crowdfunding phase is called The Myth is Canada. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Doug Force is with us, executive producer of a, uh, a feature-length documentary a film in pre-production. They're crowdfunding. We'll tell you more details. Uh, and it's called The Myth is Canada. And the the uh, the synopsis really is Canada is not a lawfully established country. We are not a, sover- a sovereign country. We are essentially a, a corporation, a one large crown Crown-owned corporation, and uh, the politicians are basically the board of uh, directors, I suppose. Um, Doug Force is um, serves as writer, uh, researcher, director, and executive producer. Again, the myth is Canada. So, before the break, Doug, how much of this has to do with just the parliamentary system and the fact that we are or were colonies of uh, of Great Britain? Well, and that's just it, uh, Richard. Dave. Uh 1931, through the Statute uh, uh, of Westminster, uh, that voided the British North American Act and ended, ended um, uh, London's or well, Great Britain's reign on Canada as a colony and allowed it to confederate and allowed it to uh, seat a constitutional government. Um, what happened was is that the people that were in Ottawa didn't want to give up their power to the people of Canada. And instead, they pretended like nothing changed. And so today, we have what they call a de facto uh, government, or an unlawful and illegal government. But because we, the people of Canada, have not understood what's going on around us, uh, we have consented to that jurisdiction and to that government. And the problem we have is that all the provinces are sovereign nations unto themselves, with de facto governments as uh, today uh, running them, when all we need to do, and it's quite simple, 
Renan Levesque in 1976. Got a letter from a gentleman by the name of Walter Cool that's up on the website. When uh, Walter explained to Rene that he didn't need to separate from Canada because you can't have a divorce without first having a marriage, and hence hold a constitutional convention in Quebec and seat a de jure government, and that's all you need to do. So explain the difference between a de facto government, which is what you say we have in all ten provinces and territories, and, and federally we have de facto governments, but we want what we want is a government de jure. Explain and, the difference. And a de facto government is a government, well, and a, the, the way that the government here in Canada was created um, it is that they just usurped the power of the people and uh, went to a foreign monarch, the Queen of England, and asked her to go into her parliament so that they could pass uh, a legislative charter called the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in 1982 that incorporated that entity, and uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, if you recall what was said on the news back in 1982, patriated that constitution. In other words, he took it to Canada for the first time. Um, not repatriated, by the way. And in doing so, um, it bamboozled the people into believing that they had the right uh, to govern. And in reality, they had no right to do so. By taking a foreign corporation and pretending to be the government of Canada, and then with the subcorps pretending to be the provincial governments, they have uh, usurped control away from we, the people of Canada, and kept it for themselves. And, when you uh, say themselves, uh, who, who do you mean? Whoever is whoever is prime minister, who is ever in the, the oh, prime minister's office, who's ever in cabinet? Oh, it goes beyond the politicians. Uh, themselves uh, would be. If you look at the if you look at the history of England and you look at the the, the House of Lords over there and the very uh, very court of the Queen, etc. etc. And the owners of that corporation are them. They own uh, the corporation that was incorporated in 1982 by the UK Parliament. The politicians are just paid shills. They get their uh, they get their salaries for life. They get health care for life. They get uh, all of their family well taken care of for life, and they get to take uh, as much of the taxpayer money as they can steal while they're while they're in power. I mean, what a quick example was that uh, what was his name Paul Martin yes. back in 1992. He owned the Canadian Steamship Company, and. Uh, in order for him to make some changes uh, when he was finance minister, uh, the IMF came to him and said, make some changes. He granted himself a $100 million uh, grant of taxpayer money to put into the Canadian steamship company so he could change the flag to Liberian flag and get the ships refitted. <laughs> where is, where, I mean, that's, that's an, we have to say that, was, that happened allegedly, right? I mean, we can't say that that happened. How do we know that happened? Well, actually, he admits to it. He admits he took $100 million from the IMF? Oh, no, he, didn't. he doesn't admit he took it. He says it was granted. It was a grant uh, given to him for the uh, Canadian Steamship Company. But that's just, you know, a person in power who can grant himself. You know, when you apply for a grant through the government um, and you can get monies, that's not a loan that they give you. It's, a, it's a monies that they give you to do certain things with in your sciences or your... Sure. In so arts, you're saying that he received a $100 million grant from the IMF. Uh, well, not from the IMF, from the Canadian taxpayer. From the Canadian taxpayer. I'm sorry. In exchange for what? What? Well, the 
IMF came to him and said, you know, in, in the finance, he was finance minister at the time, yes. he said, you're making an embarrassment of uh, the healthcare systems around the world. It's, it turns out that Canada's healthcare system was very, very well run, and it was run profitably. And uh, the IMF said, you're, you're, you're embarrassing the United States, you're embarrassing England, France, and the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the world that has a uh, healthcare system. What we'd like you to do is start cutting beds and increasing uh, the administration. Uh, cut jobs and beds and increase your administration, which is what he did. And he took a very uh, uh, efficient system back in 1992 to what it is today, where there's lineups now for elective surgery. There's lineups now going into pretty much any emergency ward uh, on any night of the week. Um, and that was, if you if you recall, back in the late 80s and early 90s, you used to be able to go to emergency and get taken care of right away. Um, if you had problems uh, that you needed an operation, uh, you were usually, there was no waiting time. But now all that has changed. The administration is very top-heavy, well as the rest of the um, well. One system. one could argue that 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 is simply the nature of socialized medicine. It, it, all, <laughs> I mean, all government agencies become these synthetic beasts, and they just tend to. I mean, there's only two other jurisdictions in the world that have a similar health care system, and that's North Korea and. Cuba, as far as I know. Uh, well, and at the time uh, when he did this, we had been running our healthcare system since the 1960s, right. very efficiently and uh, and all uh, and profitably, and and it was still for everybody. Hmm. But after that, uh, within a okay. few years of him getting his grant and uh, and changing the way that that healthcare system was going right. to be run, it started to started to run inefficiently. It is today now very inefficient. Now, if he would have left it alone. We would have still had one of the top healthcare systems in the world. How do we know about the uh, this this um, edict that came from the IMF? How do we? How did you find out about that? Actually, he actually said it in an interview um, a very long time ago. I had been watching uh, one uh, an old documentary. And he had actually mentioned the IMF, and in 1992 had uh, had had a chat with him. And I always thought that was funny. Uh, because he didn't actually say that the IMF said you need to change your health care system. But if you, if you follow what happened after the IMF had their chat and, uh, and go on to see how he got his grant of $100 million, and the health care system then started to get administratively heavy, and uh, the beds were being closed, there was hospitals being closed. I was out in Vancouver at that time, and they closed uh, three hospitals. Uh, from uh, 1992 through 1994, very large hospitals that were run very efficiently. Well, there's no question. You know, we have we have serious problems uh, with just long-term sustainability. With you know, many of our with many of our um, aspe- with many aspects of our social safety net. Let's put it that way. Uh, but uh, let's get let's get back to the premise that uh, that Canada is not. A, a country. If we're not a sovereign country, then we are citizens. We are not citizens. We are. I, I described as, as chattel of a corporation. Is that a fair analogy? Only if you consent to that jurisdiction. You are actually. We are actually um, a landmass uh, with sovereign individuals. Every human being on the landmass, known as Canada, is actually a sovereign individual. We don't have a de jure government. And hence, uh, hence we have a pirate ship, for lack of a better term, uh, controlling our, our day to day. 
and that's the sad part of this. And, and in the movie, what we're going to expose is just that and how it came about. But more than that, uh, Richard, we're actually going to show for the last uh, half hour, 40 minutes of the movie, how the individual can change that, how we can seat a de jure government in each of the provinces, how we can all come together and do that. And, and then if over time, the, once the de jure governments are seated in each province, if they want to create a federal authority from that, then the people of Canada uh, can actually create a federal authority for Ottawa if they want to. And once again, that would be done through a constitutional convention and then seating a de jure federal authority. How would that change? Uh, for, I mean, you know, so we go to the polls every four plus years. We elect members of parliament. Uh, they promise us one thing and then they largely ignore us in between elections. Uh, that's pretty standard, you know, from country to country around the world. How were things, how would things differ if we had, instead of a de facto government, as, as uh, you refer to them, and we had a government de jour? I mean, for, I'm just trying to place myself in the minds of our listeners saying, okay, de facto, de jour, what, what difference does it make? A politician is a politician. Well, actually, um, under uh, a du jour government, uh, the politician uh, is only elected by the people, and if he fails to uh, initiate the people's mandate, there would be safeguards built within that constitution to ensure that he is relieved of his position, and that a by-election would be called, and another politician would be put in his position, uh, would be put in his place. Um, today, as you know, the uh, the politicians, once elected, they're under no obligation to follow anything that they've said uh, to get elected or to listen to their constituents once elected if, uh, if it goes against what uh, they uh, want to do. Um, and well, there have nothing. been, there, excuse me, Doug, I mean, there have been examples, mm-hmm. um, you know, where we have you know, for example, provincial parties, where we have a very strong grassroots underneath that, you know, underneath the sort of the party apparatus or informing party platforms and party policy. If you, you know, if you, if you join the, the conservative party, the provincial conservative party, or, and you attend meetings and so forth, and you get involved in the process, maybe I'm being naive here, uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, where else? Show me where else in the world where uh, where uh, um, an elected member is is responsible to his constituents after he's elected. And I think United most States people the world America. over feel feel that you know that they are largely ignored. United States of America, um, in all uh, forty eight states, in the lower forty eight states, uh, they can recall the politicians, and uh, if they're not following the mandate of the people, it's not done very often mm-hmm. because of the big. Uh, the, yeah, they tried to recall and, the governor of Wisconsin, and and um, it, it didn't work out. You're right. I mean, I have we have seen that at least the attempt. But uh, aren't there provinces here that have recall? Canada. Doesn't Alberta have a recall mechanism? Um, actually, I was just I'm trying to find the case right now that was actually in Alberta. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the Alberta or the the uh, the, the courts uh, ruled against uh, the people, saying that the politician had no. Uh, no standing. Right. Uh, I'm sorry that the uh, the people had no standing to tell the politician what to do after he was elected. Well, that's an interesting point because you mentioned the uh, the courts, and if you, for example, if you look in the United States with the judiciary, and many of the the app- appellate courts are incredibly liberal. 
uh, you know, after eight years of a Democratic president, he has that. I mean, that's the greatest. That's the greatest power of a president, really, is to appoint uh, Supreme Court judges, appellate court judges that will, could sit and change and inform uh, policy for a generation. Uh, where, where we have seen, for example, um, uh, ballot initiatives in in places like California. Um, I mean, I don't want to get you know political here, but this, I'm citing this as an example. In in California, they voted for a ballot initiative. Uh, you know, recognizing sort of the sanctity of um, a woman and a man uh, getting married. Uh, that was the the will of the people in this ballot initiative. And again, I'm not making a commentary one way or the other. I'm citing it as a, as an example, and the courts overturned that. So, I mean, you know, I don't know what would again what would change. Okay, so we would have the ability to recall an MLA or a member of provincial parliament, as we call them in Ontario. What else would change? Well, you've got to understand something here, Richard, that the Constitution that would be created would be created by the will of the people. And if the, if the will of the people says that if a politician doesn't follow uh, what the will of the people is, then he should be recalled, or it will be recalled, and he will lose his, uh, his status as a politician. Right. And so it, these are all things that can be put into a Constitution. Sure. Whatever is put into the Constitution through constitutional conventions is the will of the people at the time that that is happening. Um, we can go on for the next three or four hours talking about all the various things that we can place in a constitution. And I usually say to people, I say, look, if you're looking to find a good example of a, of a constitution, it's not a perfect example, right. but a good example of a constitution is the one in the United States. Right. Oh, I agree. I, I agree. In principle, it's, it's one of the shining documents uh, of human history. Exactly. And where it starts off with the, with the three most important words, we, the people. Mm. Interesting, yes. And and that's the beautiful thing of that. Now, the federal constitution is to match all the state's constitutions. Now, they did make errors. Um, they allowed the United States to have two jurisdictions of law within its constitution, one constitutional common law and the other admiralty. And in 1878, they shifted the constitutional common law government into a constitutional admiralty government. And hence, the uh, it's been going downhill ever since. And this is why you get the courts being stacked with people that will work in favor of bigger government, but against the will of the people. Right, right. And, and so that's something that I'm actually, I, I, I address that in a documentary I was working on down there. It was called Bamboozled, the Reseating of the Republic. Uh, a number of years ago, and then I was asked to leave because they didn't particularly want that information to go out to the 330 million. <laughs> All right, Doug, hold on. We've got the music coming up, which means it's uh, just time to step away for a moment, and uh, we'll come back and uh, we'll talk about the Canadian Constitution. Doug says it's not a constitution because it constitutes nothing. We'll find out what that means. Doug Force, NephilimFilms.com, and the documentary is called The Myth is Canada. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Uh, Doug Force is with us, executive producer of The Myth is Canada. They are in the crowdfunding phase, uh, pre-production, I suppose. And um, the, uh, the synopsis of the, uh, or the hypothesis, really, of this documentary is that Canada is not a lawfully established country. 
and uh, we are essentially a uh, adrift, uh, sort of caught between. We used to be a colony, uh, but the the constitution was not ratified by the people, uh, so it's essentially been the whole system has been has been hijacked. Um, and so when when the prime minister, for example, uh, swears allegiance to the queen and not the people of Canada. Does that mean that the that we are essentially owned by the crown? We're not owned by anybody. We're not owned uh, by anybody. Okay. Ideally, I mean, I can get into the uh, into the intricacies of how they, they bamboozled. Doug, let me just jump in. Are you wanna Are you wanna hands free? Could I get you? To, if so, could you pick up the handset? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Did there I, we uh, go. There we go. Hundred percent. Yeah. Sorry, I had the microphone <laughs> in another position. Um, so what I was saying is that uh, is that uh, the people are all sovereign, but they they get tricked into believing that, they, that this is a, a lawful government, okay. and by accepting it, they go ahead and do uh, what what they need to to do to survive. And uh, you know, through licensing, uh, the government requires you to be licensed to do this or licensed to do that, or uh, the income tax, uh, the, the the GST, the HST, the, the, all of these other things, all the, the licensing fees and everything else is just a money grab. I mean, you pay 35% of your income towards the government that uh, has no allegiance to you whatsoever. What, what, but how much of that has to do with the fact that we are, uh, I mean, even though we have conservative parties, they're not really that conservative. We have, we are essentially kind of a, we tend to be more of a European-style socialist country. I mean, and that's what happens under a socialist regime. We get taxed and they well, spend. Was, and, that was what was cast upon us. Yeah. Um, given the opportunity to seat a de jure government mm. through our constitution uh, and creating our own constitution, um, that would have may not have, uh, have taken place. Right. But even if it did take place, it would have been the will of the people, not the will of a foreign uh, uh, government. And the problem that we have is that they entice you in with this great, oh, look, we're giving you free health care. Oh, look, we're doing this, we're doing that for you. And slowly over time, as you can see, austerity, last government, Mr. Harper said, austerity, must we must uh, embrace austerity here in Canada. And the first thing Trudeau said when he took government, we must embrace austerity when he took government. So now they're Taking away all these wonderful little perks we've had, and 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 it, it, in order to, well, what what happens when a government starts removing uh, the good things uh, that uh, that uh, make it a good country? Well, that's about control. Right. So, what does it mean then when the prime minister is sworn in and he pledges allegiance to the queen? You're saying that we are not really. We're not owned by the Queen. It's 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 not uh, a, a crown corporation. Well, uh, it is a crown corporation because it was it was created. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms is just that. It is a charter of a corporation that was created by the uh, UK Parliament. And uh, because don't forget that it's a constitutional monarchy in the United uh, in the United Kingdom. Yes. And hence it would be a crown corporation. What's interesting is this, is that uh, the, the Governor General, the Prime Minister, and the Chief Justice of Canada are considered the right honorables. And, and what are the right honorables? Who, who do they have allegiance to? They are responsible for their actions to the British Crown and, and the British government. 
Right. This is why when they're when sworn into the respective offices, they pledge their allegiance to a foreign monarch, Queen Elizabeth of Great Britain. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But they have no allegiance to us. But don't they also do that in Australia? Uh, don't they also do that in uh, any number of other uh, former uh, British colonies now part of the Commonwealth? Yes, they do. And But we're here in Canada. I'm not in Australia. Otherwise, it would be the myth of Australia or the myth of New Zealand if I was there. Right. But, but <laughs> what I'm saying is it's here. the same situation there? Similar, not the same. They don't have, the, they, they don't have government du jour. They have de facto governments. going through here, um, but not the same. Uh, We were lucky when the statute of Westminster was created. We had a gentleman by the name of R. Rogers Smith, who was in Ottawa at the time and a good friend of Mackenzie King. And and he wrote the three uh, main clauses that applied to Canada uh, that were in the statute of Westminster. And Mackenzie King took those with him to uh, London, and the English Parliament adopted them as as our Roger Smith had written them. So we got very lucky in that with uh, with those clauses put in, we were basically cast at, uh, cast at sea. In other words, the uh, British North American Act and the British Parliament and the Queen had no more claim on Canada. And Canada was uh, was freer than Australia or New Zealand or any of the other um, uh, so-called colonies. Um, the way that they, they wanted to... Let me, sorry, this is a short segment, uh, Doug, so um, again, we have the music sorry. coming up. We'll, we'll uh, take another quick timeout, come back. And uh, I do want to get to that question about uh, we do not have a constitution because it constitutes nothing. Let's find out about that. Doug Forrest, Nephilim Films, The Myth is Canada. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Doug Force, executive producer of The Myth is Canada. We are not a lawfully established country. And um, the uh, the documentary is in pre-production. They are in the crowdfunding phase. Give us the details on that, Doug, how people can uh, contribute to the production of this controversial film. Um, um, there's a donate button on the top right-hand corner. And you can go there and uh, you can uh, give us uh, donations through uh, PayPal, e-transfer. Um, actually, we, t- we accept Bitcoin and Ethercoin as well. Nephilimfilms.com. Nephilimfilms. Let me spell that. N-E-P-H-A-L-E-M. Nephilim. Just like in the book of Enoch and the Genesis. Nephilimfilms.com. All right. Uh, I'd asked you about the uh, the Constitution. You're saying it, we don't have a Constitution. It constitutes nothing. So what does it... It delineates powers, though, doesn't it? Well, what it does, it, it does apply to, uh, uh, under, under Section 32, 1, um, the Charter applies to, A, the Parliament and Government of Canada, and, B, the legislature, legislature and the government of each province. And that's all it applies to. It doesn't apply to you and I or any other... Canadian person. And so how can we have a constitution that would would be a law of the land, supposedly, that doesn't apply to us? Hmm. So it's the wording is been crafted as such to exclude uh to exclude the citizens. Well, there are no citizens. 
Because if it doesn't include you, how can you be a citizen of something that you're not included in? If you were to claim uh, uh, protection under the Constitution in a court of law, you, it doesn't apply to you. You don't have its protection in their courts. Not even under the Charter. That's, the, that's where that comes from. 32.1 of the Charter says very specifically it applies to the Parliament and the Government of Canada and B, to the legislature and the government of each province. But when an, individual, when an individual feels like a particular law infringes upon his or her individual rights... They can take that to court. They can go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So, isn't that exercising, you know, our rights under the Charter? Well, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I, it brings to mind. I was at the um, the, the final um, press conference for uh, Calmer uh, this year. Uh, where they um, released the information from the Supreme Court after they fought uh, throughout the courts here in Ontario, through the um, provincial Supreme Court, and then off through the federal courts and into uh, the Supreme Court of Canada. I'm sorry, did you say the Omar Cotter case? The the Comer. Oh, Comer case. Oh, oh, this is regarding the Bank of Canada Act. Correct. Right. I wanted to ask you about that, yeah. Yeah, they wanted their rights under the under under the charter that that, that they were they said why can't we use the bank of canada as it was chartered for the people of canada to issue money without interest right in other and words the government is ignoring the bank of canada act they are they've circumvented it ever since i guess uh, trudeau was sort of tricked into um sort of hitching our wagon to the Bank of International Settlements so that we, we, instead of borrowing from the Bank of Canada at very low interest or zero interest, and the municipalities and provincial governments and the federal government can all do this. This is how we built the St. Lawrence Seaway. This is how we funded our our war effort in the Second World War. This is how we paid for many of our social programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was all done away with in the early or mid-1970s. And so Rocco Galata... Uh, has been uh, representing this group all the way to the Supreme Court, arguing that the government is, you know, they are they're betraying the Canadian Canadian citizens because they are ignoring the Bank of Canada Act. Anyway, sorry, I, I needed to give it some context. Well, that's okay. I was going to do that anyway. Um, and the, the final decision came down that he was they, they, they sued to have the politicians to make the politicians uh, do this. And the, the Supreme Court of Canada said <laughs> that they weren't going to hear it because it was a political issue. Hmm. And they threw it back out, which is the whole idea of the Calmer case in the first place was to get the politicians to, to do what they were supposed to do under the Bank of Canada Act and, and the Supreme Court. That's what I'm saying is that we, the people, the Constitution doesn't apply to us. If it did, the Supreme Court would have uh, would have found in favor of uh, the Calmer case and said the politicians have to follow what the people say. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, oh, I, I just wanted to bring um, uh, my um, one of my producers here, Ryan, uh, because you were looking. Well, we were talking about recall earlier, mm-hmm. and I thought it was Alberta that had recall. But Ryan, what did you it's find? Columbia. Out? Yeah, British Columbia ninety one. They had a general election, and they also had a referendum. 
where about 80% of the population of the voters voted to in favor of having recalls okay. on if they were upset, and uh, it passed as legislation in 95 years later. Okay, so yeah. would that mean then, uh, Doug, that British Columbia now has a government du jour? No. The recall, that if you, if you actually go read what the recall is that they created out in British Columbia, it's almost, not quite, but almost impossible to do. And they did it to placate the masses, but they made it so onerous to that it, it, it becomes almost an impossibility to fulfill a recall. As a matter of fact, a number of times it has been tried in, in British Columbia, and uh, they're yet to, to, to my knowledge anyways, they're yet to uh, ever have used it. They've tried to use it, but they've yet never actually been able to. All right, let's grab a quick call here. Uh, William is in Toronto. Good evening. Good morning, William. I uh, I would like to ask about the notwithstanding clause in the Constitution. That means if uh, you go against them and they, they don't like it, they say, no, we don't like it because of notwithstanding clause. Right. We don't have to give this any is, reason. This is parliamentary supremacy. They yeah, can overrule the, the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court have to give any reasons. They can decide on whatever they want and without any reasons. And also, uh, everyone has to accept the uh, Constitution, all the provinces. Quebec has not accepted it, so... We don't have one. Excellent point. All right. What about the notwithstanding clause? Well, and, and once again, now we're getting into um, uh, what an attorney could tell you, and I, I, I don't hold that hat. I am <laughs> I'm not an attorney, and so I don't get into the breakdown of the law itself. Uh, within within there, I mean, there's certain clauses that we can look at that we understand, but you know, the overview on that would be then if they, if they have that, and they can do whatever they want. Once again, that constitution doesn't apply to you. Right. In, in those rare instances, the parliament could override the Supreme Court, uh, which you know. I'm, in, in part, I'm not opposed because we we do have a very advocate. Uh, we have a, a Supreme Court that's they're advocates, right? They're not. I don't. But then you could say, well, are they? What are they interpreting? They're, they're interpreting the Constitution, but we don't really have a Constitution. So what does it matter? Well, then that's just it. We 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 go into their courts uh, with attorneys. And the definition of an attorney is to bring the person or its property onto the state. And as soon as you hire an attorney, the court deems you incompetent. So how is that fair play? Hmm. Speaking of the Constitution, one of the things uh, and, and the charter that I uh, – and I know that th- this was, I believe, something that um, Harper wanted to do, and I believe um, the new conservative leader is, has talked about it, and that is – instilling property rights in the Constitution. We don't have property rights as individuals in this country, do we? Well, we did up until 1931. We did, okay. And the problem that we had, okay, if you look at what the Dominion was from 1867 to 1931, um, most of southern Ontario sits under land patent that was issued by uh, the Crown in England uh, to... Uh, the, 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 what they had at that time were British subjects or British citizens. And they have land patents that cover pretty much, uh, all of southern Ontario. Um, Toronto up until, I guess it's where Front Street, um, uh, beyond Front Street going down to the water, uh, that's a re- reclaimed land. But the, the land patents is a lodial title. Which it's means it's what? What did you call it? A lodial title. What does that mean? 
means that you own your property from the soles of your feet to the center of the earth, from the top of your head to the outer reaches of the atmosphere. How much better or how much of, of property rights do you want? You can't get a higher value of property rights other than a low deal. Lodial is the highest value of property rights you can have. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. But in 1931, that all changed. Why? Because we no longer had a de jure, even though we were a colony, even though we were a dominion, but we had a de jure governance. After 1931, that ended. Well, my understanding is that we, unless you specify, you don't own the mineral rights. In other words, you don't own what's under the soil. And in certain areas, the the Ministry of Natural Resources or 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 um, the Ministry of Mines or whatever it's called uh, can come onto your property. They could they could trespass. And they could start, you know, if let's say they wanted to take core samples to see what's on, under your under the ground. They could do that. Is that true? It would not. Here's the problem, um, uh, uh, Richard. Is that the property that you have today, you don't own. How can you tell you don't own it? Try not paying your property taxes. It's not your property. It, it doesn't belong to the de facto government, but the de facto government has created property taxes that say to you, if you don't pay these, we will come and confiscate your property. Gee whiz, how, come, how is that fair? In the United States, we'll go across the border and we see down there, they have property taxes. But it was done in favor of a government that was elected, and the people actually voted for the politicians that instituted these property taxes, and they were very specific as to what the property taxes could be for. And if you go from the various states under the jure government, each state and each city and each municipality, et cetera, et cetera, down there, they all have property taxes, but they're not all the same across every state across every every state line, et cetera, et cetera. But in the provinces of, of uh, British Columbia, across uh, all the way across Canada, they're pretty much homogenized. Right. I'll give you an example, an illustration of that. Vancouver. I'll give you an illustration of that. In, in, in California, uh, uh, they have uh, an initiative where they're actually thinking about if, if you don't have a child in public school, they will mm-hmm. remove that portion from your property tax. I mean, I can't Correct. believe I'm saying, you know, about uh, La La Land, California, um, you know, the, the Bolsheviks that are running things out there. But, you know, uh, one part of me thinks, hey, that's a, you know, why should a senior that has, as, that's trying to stay in their house, that has put six kids through the school system, but also they have, you know, they've moved on now in their life, they're in another phase, why should they continue to pay into the public school system? So you're, that illustrates your point. It's not uniform in the United States. In California, they're thinking about taking the, the school portion, public school portion, off the property tax. Stay with us, Doug. We're delighted uh, you're staying with, with us for the full two hours. We'll, uh, we'll take phone calls as well in the second hour. And I also want to talk to you about uh, some interesting comments by our newly minted prime minister. Well, not newly minted. Uh, some call him the boy king. A colleague down the street, a uh, broadcaster does, and I love it. All right, Doug Forrest, The Myth is Canada. Back with more in a moment. 